Hey listeners, it's KJ here asking for a favor. Have you reviewed hashtag amwriting in your pod player yet? Would you? I know, you're driving or running or cooking or whatever you do while listening and we are there for that. But if you love us and could take a minute to hit that five-star button and toss in a comment, we'd appreciate it. Oh, and if you don't love us, carry on with what you're doing. In fact, we hear the review button isn't working right now. Don't check. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay! Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Hey, I'm KJ Delantonio, and this is Hashtag Am Writing, the weekly podcast about... Writing all the things, short things, long things, pitches, proposals, fiction, nonfiction. This is the podcast about sitting down and getting your work done. I'm Jess Leahy. I'm the author of The Gift of Failure and The Addiction Inoculation. And if you so choose, you can go find my journalism over at The New York Times, The Washington Post, and The Atlantic. I'm Serena Bowen. I write romance novels, and my newest one is called Good as Gold. And I am KJ Delantonia. I am the author of three novels, In Her Boots, The Chicken Sisters, and the, the the Baby of the Family, playing the witch card, coming out in fall of 2023. I'm also the former lead editor and writer of Motherload at the New York Times, but freelancing is a, is a uh, crime I'm no longer committing. <laughs> <laughs> and we are so delighted to just be here and um, having an episode in which uh, we are recording this on... May 26th-ish of 2023, and this is all the things that are on our mind as of this exact moment, and they are many and varied. We heard you loud and clear, by the way, that what you like is when we get together and we just talk about the life of a writer, what's been on our minds, and what we're noticing around us. And um, and I think we've been noticing a lot of things lately. Our text threads have been full of all of the publishing things we have been noticing lately. So we have a, a fun uh, little melange of things to talk about today. What do we want to start with? Well, you just paid a visit to the bookstore, yeah. and we were all deeply amused. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Tell so us. So I went to the... Yeah, I went to the bookstore because one of the things we've talked about a lot on this podcast is the utility of dissecting other books in order to get um, a lot of different things. Like I will dissect nonfiction books in order to sort of have that expert voice or to take on a, you know, a sense of humor in the voice or whatever the thing is I'm looking for in a particular day. So I keep a stack on my desk when I'm writing nonfiction and I am attempting to write my first novel. And um, one of the things I wanted to do was go out and a couple, get a couple examples of that genre so that I could dissect them, take them apart, say, okay, how long does this exposition happen? When do we get the first? beat, blah, 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 blah. And before you even finish that story, I just want to say how great the, I mean, we talk about dissection all the time, but I was just giving feedback on um, Women Fiction Writers Association's Rising Stars entries. And I was just suggesting to someone, okay, you know, you're trying to pull off this timeline thing. Why don't you go look at this? And every time now, I'm I'm always just, that's that's kind of my go-to advice is here's a whole bunch of books I think you could take a look at that are going to, you know, help guide you through this process. 
Well, and actually what I, what was so nice about going to this bookseller or to this particular bookstore is I said, I said, is there anyone here who reads this particular genre for me right now? It's thrillers um, because I need, here's what I'm trying to do. And here's what I need uh, suggestions on. And they handed me a whole bunch of suggestions. And what was really funny is one of the books I was handed had a blurb um, from an author whose book I really, really loved. And I spend so much time, we spend a lot of time sometimes pondering the utility of blurbs. Like, do they really sell books? Um, but from an author's perspective, I know I get asked to blurb a lot of books and it takes a lot of time to blurb a book, especially if you're going to do it thoughtfully and thoroughly. And I also have to send my work out to People And just for the context, just for context, envision this. You've written a book. The only people who have read it are your agent and your editor, because that's how I roll. And then I send an, you know, an unfinished, not fully copy edited form of this, this baby I've just created to the authors I respect most in the field. It is the most alarming, scary uh, anxiety-inducing thing. And so every once in a while we talk about the utility of blurbs and do they really sell books? Is it worth all of the fear and the headaches and all of that sort of stuff? And there I was standing at, by the way, the, the Flying Pig bookseller in, um, in Shelburne, Vermont. And I pick up this book and right on the front is a blurb from Adam McKinty who wrote a book I absolutely loved called The Chain. So I am deciding whether or not to buy this book back based on the fact that I like The Chain by a different author, different book. It seems so odd that we do this, but there we are. I did the very thing that I would love to proclaim doesn't work to sell books, and yet I bought a book today because I read a blurb. Oh, it totally on works on me. I, I absolutely <laughs> care, despite the fact that I know there are rules around this, okay, as an mm -hmm. author, and they are basically as follows. If somebody has blurbed your book, you're going to blurb their book. There you go. If your mother's best friend has written a book, guess what you're doing? If your sister-in-law has written a book, there you go. Um, if you're afraid of the person who has asked you, uh, yeah, okay, there's that. If you share an agent, if you share an editor, uh, if an editor has asked you that you have great admiration for, I well, mean, there are I all have kinds to interrupt of you. things that, that play into this. I have to interrupt you here because there's so it's so weird sometimes how these quote rules work because when I wrote the gift of failure the the people we simply did not ask to blurb the gift of failure were people who were quoted or cited in the book because that was what my editor at the time was thinking was sort of her practice and yet I talked to someone just recently who was very, very insulted that she was not asked to blurb a book that she was in. And I tried to give her another perspective, which was, well, I don't know, there's this other rule that says if you're in it, you have, there's a conflict of interest there. So the whole blurbing world is very, very weird. It's very scary. For some people, it, it can cause major trauma, like one of the weirdest experiences that I am not going to go into that I've ever had with another author came out of a blurbing experience. Um, it's, it's a very fraught sort of situation. Um, but it, 
it's out there. You can't ignore it. You can't pretend it doesn't exist. You can't say, well, I guess some people can, but most people can't say, I'm just not going to get blurbs for this book. And then, of course, there's like the the people, the well, stories you hear about. There are authors who about. say, I, I don't blurb, which... Yeah. yeah, I I respect. And then there's that. and then there's I, try, AJ. I I also yeah. want to back off on my rules and say I really try, like yeah. I try yeah. really hard. If it's a if it's a, a have to situation, but I feel like I'm not going to like it, I just I you know I'll plead the time thing. We all mm-hmm. we all do that. So so please you you can believe my burbs ninety nine yep. percent of the yep. time. <laughs> But, well, and I yeah. I get around, I, I have a clause, actually, I, a little sub-clause on there. I never, ever actually promise to blurb a book. I promise to read a book. And there have been times when it's not a great fit. Um, or I honestly just could, this year, for some reason, I don't know what happened this year, I was asked to blurb an insane number of September, uh, August, September books, and all of the blurbs uh, were due at the same time, and I just I couldn't do it. I had to I had to weed them out, and I felt really bad. It's um, really hard to say sound, no. Yeah, it's really hard to say no. I have struggled with um, power imbalance situations where I'm being asked to blurb something by somebody who could make a difference in my life later, like an editor at a publisher that I've never written for, and those are the hardest ones. Yeah. I won't say I don't, uh, that's a double negative. I look, I do look at who the publishers are of the books that I'm asked to blurb. Although I will say I have blurbed across the board. I've blurbed in the academic presses. I've blurbed the big, you know, the big New York public publishers, but it, it's a thing. It's, there are considerations there that are And yet I still flip the book over. I absolutely yeah. read the blurbs. I absolutely listen to them. And there are a few people that, you know, like Stephen King is 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 only blurbing stuff Stephen King loves. That's the cool thing about, because that's lightning in a bottle, because I, I uh, know someone whose book was sort of plucked out of, like, they didn't even know he had a copy and got a blurb from Stephen King. And it's like, holy moly, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. so you know. And... <laughs> What? Once there was a blurb from a friend of mine, and then I read part of the book, and then I, I, I texted the friend, and I was like, wait a minute, and she was like, I know. So, yeah, those those yeah. things happen. But I still, you know, I still look at it, and, What's and weird read them, and though, pay attention to it. I don't, I don't know why. I guess because you have so little else to yeah. go on. I, uh, one, the other reason that we were talking about this today is there's a book that I'm not going to name that I purchased because of a blurb. And according to you, who's looked at this book, that is an in, it is not an accurate reflection of what this book is. I just don't think you're going to like it. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to exchange it for something else. You want, you want, like you wanted a thrillery thriller, like you're trying to write and it's very much not, it's, it's not that. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to find sometimes because I need uh, what I'm looking to dissect are books that are a combination. Yes, they're thrillers, but they have a domestic thing. They're sort of character driven. There's, you know, I'm looking for the right mix of elements. And here's where independent booksellers are so important because I'm planning to go later today to a big independent bookseller around here. 
where there are people who actually read those genres and recommend the books and know what's out there. And it's the reason I love independent booksellers so much is that you get there and you say, look, I'm a new person in the genre and I'm looking for examples of these things. What can you recommend? And it's like magic. It's amazing. Well, all of this kind of plays into the other thing that we've been talking about lately, which is the, the, um, agony and non-existent ecstasy of trying to sell our own books. <laughs> somebody emailed yeah. you, somebody messaged you and was like, what did they say? I, I don't remember. There was something that made us go, oh, yeah, yeah. I think I think it was the confluence of a number of different things, which is there's the phases of writing a book. And at a certain point, you turn completely to the selling and the book's out of your hands. There's nothing left for you to do on that. You have no control anymore. And you attempt to exert control by hedging your bets on all fronts when it comes to publicity and marketing and all that stuff. And there's just, you know, Serena, every single time she has a book come out, she's got this list, huge to-do list of all of the things she has to put in place in order to sell her books. And it's, it's a lot. And it, it, it's one of the main reasons that I'm not writing a new nonfiction book right now, because for me, selling my work means being out there talking about it in front of a lot of people and trying to convince people to buy the book that way. And it's it's a lot, a lot of work. It's a lot to consider. It is a lot of work. And um, I know somebody who has a book who's doing unex- unexpectedly well, like it, it surprised her how good this release is going for her. And um, she said, but even the success of it was a bit exhausting because she's had to keep up with, um, with looking to make sure that the ads she's running are still making sense. And uh, it, it, even when things are going well, it's just a really big job to launch a work. And for me, the, the problem comes when I'm trying to write something and sell something else. And that's how my life is all the time. Right now, yeah. I'm writing a book about a hockey player, but I'm, I'm marketing a Vermont, a small town romance that's coming out next week. So I have to put all of my marketing brain in this small town in Vermont. And all of my writing plane is, you know, brain is in Colorado writing about this hockey player's, you know, past trauma. And it's just confusing, you know, to, to, to juggle the work that is already done and to love it. And you have to, you have to talk from a place of love, even sometimes when you're exhausted by everything that you went through to get that book done. This is like every book ever, right? (laughs) There's so few things that we can market with just the pure joy of, of feeling amazing about those books. That was what it was that somebody sent you was something like, you know, I, I'm so tired of this book. I, I don't, but I can't. And I have mixed feelings about it. And there are things I wish I'd done differently. And there's this and there's that. But in public, I can only put on, you know, my joyful selling face. And yeah, I just, I relate to that so hard that, you know, you go on a podcast and, and it's a writing podcast. And maybe you'd like to talk about you know, some of the ways that, that this could have gone differently or some of the things you didn't like about the process, but you also need people to buy the book. So you have to sort of be like, no, it was great. Everybody was fantastic and you're going to love it and please buy it. And, and I'm just, yeah, it's really hard. Well, I think the thing that has come up a lot with some of our friends has been 
there are so many platforms on which you could attempt to sell a book and especially, you know, book talk, TikTok has been the big thing that everyone's like, oh, I'm a writer. I have to be on TikTok now. This is the thing I have to learn how to use and become an expert in. And it's there are more platforms than you could ever hope to fill. They're not all going to work for you, but there's this obligation that a lot of publishers come to their authors and say, what? You're not, you know, pushing this, that, and the other thing, whether it's on Instagram. And of course, there's Bookstagram and Book Talk and all that sort of stuff. And Book Twitter has kind of fallen apart lately, but whole other topic there. Um, it's It's something that I think is exhausting to even think about. And it's why I hesitate to talk about. Um, there's this wonderful book that I'm, I think we're going to be talking about a lot soon. Um, Anna David has a new book out called On Good Authority, Seven Steps to Prepare, Promote, and Profit from, an, from a How-To Book that Makes You the Go-To Expert. And in this book, unfortunately or fortunately, she quotes me and talks about what I did in the year preceding the publication of The Gift of Failure. If you take that in a snapshot, it is going to seem hopeless because it says I sent out 2,000 letters, which is correct. But I did not send out 2,000 letters all on one day. I sent 2,000 letters out over the course of a year, over a year, actually. But I think that the exhausting part of selling our work is for many of us, we're introverts. For many of us, um, we need the time to actually write the books and spending a lot of time on social media or whatever the platform is that may or may not be um, effective is exhausting. And the expectations, of course, that we are supposed to know how to do those things and that we're supposed to be effective doing those things and that we will do those things, that is exhausting too. Especially when you're not good at them all. I tend to think it, nothing, nothing, it doesn't work. That's, that's there you go. <laughs> yeah. There's I mean, my flat yeah. out take. And I'm happy. I mean, yeah. I, I have sort of settled my social media groove into a place where I'm really pleased with everything yeah. that I'm doing. It's all, it's all good. I'm, 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 I like doing it. I like making mm -hmm. the connections, but um, you're not going to, you're not going to move the needle on your book in, in any significant way by things that you do yourself. And and yet, I mean, I say that, and then you think about um, the author who, you know, used to sell her book from the trunk of her car, and I will think of her name in a minute. Um, there are lots of them. Um, Christopher Paolini, who created the Aragon series. His, he was homeschooled, and his family sold it out the trunk of his car before he ever published. You know, there's those stories, but there's also, you know, we talk lots about Lots of people who sold and a their book out of their trunk of the car, and it yeah. didn't make any difference. So there are a lot of I there are a lot know. of people driving around with a lot of books left over in the trunks of their cars. <laughs> and actually, I have to say, I often have books in my car for various reasons because I drive myself to my speaking events and things like that. And I must look like a crazy person. If you were going to look in and steal my car and see if there's anything valuable in there, they're like, well, there's a case full of copies of her book in there. I don't know. What am I going to do with that? I used to Maybe carry that's a, a bunch theft. around in case I wanted to give one to someone. It never happened. So I was like, I don't need yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe it's a theft deterrent. <laughs> you know... One of the other emotionally difficult things about marketing your book after it's out in the world is that you learn things about it from what other people respond to. So when I put out a book, you know, sometimes I'm lucky enough that a few people will make little videos about it or they'll make a 
a TikTok or a reel or something, and they get to tell me what they think the important part of the story is. And it's always a revelation. <laughs> and That's cool. so, so in that case, it sort of helps that marketing is an ongoing process because I get to benefit from learning what other people think. Like I write a book and I think it's about one thing and then social media tells me the week of, of launch, like, oh, actually, it's really about this other thing. And we're responding to this part of the book that is not part of your marketing plan. So you have to go back and incorporate these ideas into the message you're putting out. And this also happens in with my own brain. Like, as I said, I have a book coming out next week called Good as Gold. And I'm making advertisements now. And I'm going to run ads on Facebook, which is really complicated, not for not for the faint of heart, and I'll probably spend about $1,000 by the time I'm done. Um, but that's a super iterative process because you have to have um, a visual that makes sense. You have to have um, a setup, uh, pick an audience that makes sense, and you have to have ad copy that makes sense. And it's so iterative. Every time I do this, I start out with ads that work a certain way. Like I'll have an ad with an excerpt in it and then I'll have a different ad that's a video and and I'll be learning in dribs and drabs over the course of this launch which of those things are the clickiest things. And I won't know until I get in there. And sometimes <clears throat> I'll make an ad for the US and then I'll make a copy of it for the UK market and then I'll make a copy for Australia and it's hours and hours at my desk. But when I get to Canada or whatever, I'm like, oh, wait. That's a sharper tagline than the other one. <laughs> and so so some of the work of selling your book is iterative and frustrating, but it's unavoidable. It's just like writing a book in the first place. Sometimes you have to do it a little bit wrong before you can do it a little bit right. So as much as I wish to get all those hours back, like sometimes you learn something so valuable just by rolling up your sleeves and getting in there and trying to sell your work. Yeah, the thing that... Um... Uh, so the addiction inoculation came out in April of 2021, and it's only since I made those daily videos of the entire contents of the book that I have found out what really hits with audiences and what people want to talk about. It has shaped my speaking engagements. It has shaped what I talk about when I talk about the book, and I wouldn't have done that if a friend had not said, why don't you try this? And, you know, a couple years out now from the publication of that book, I'm finally really getting a great um, picture of what people care about most in that book. And it's changing the way I talk about the book. So, but I also would not recommend making videos about the entire content of your book, unless it's something you really love doing. Like, you know, KJ's really fun Instagram posts she's doing are fantastic. And Serena, your videos are amazing. Um, don't do that stuff unless you really love it because it's a massive time suck. I mean, we've talked about this, a massive time suck. I'm doing Instagram posts about other people's books. Cause that's yeah, fun that's for me. <laughs> like I really enjoy that. I don't think I yeah. could do what you did about. Yeah, I, I've thought you know, there's so many approaches, right? There's that whole yep. sort of, you know, I was such and such and such and such, and then I, and then I, <laughs> where you sort of take on the persona of the right, the person right. in the book, and you don't necessarily always do it with your own face, but it's like a voiceover of some. Mm -hmm. I just can't. I don't know. I, I that just. 
doesn't. Um, are you talking about those TikToks? It, so. Are you talking yeah. about those TikToks where people pretend? Yeah, those caught me once or twice, and then once. And I thought, oh, wait, is this real? Is this really happening? And then they're like, and this you can find out more about by reading this book. That worked on me twice. And then I'm like, oh, I hope I don't see these anymore because I find that really, I don't like being tricked in that way. So for me, it was something that was going to make me not engage. So yeah, you never know. A lot of times now they say POV on them. Mm. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So that you know what you're yeah. getting yeah. into. I do, I do like it when they do that. I mean, there's just all kinds of, yeah, you know, people are diff- are comfortable with different things, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to figure out what um, what you are and aren't willing to do. But I think you have to do that in an atmosphere of understanding that what you choose to do in this arena is sort of almost as much of like a you know lucky grab, lottery pull, mm-hmm. crapshoot as the book itself. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you might do something that hits, but there's no sure bets, probably won't hit at all. So given that, you know, the amount of time that you invest in something should be fairly limited. I mean, it's very, for me, every day, I just come back to the one thing, which is if I haven't written None of the rest of it. <laughs> like, yeah. None of the rest of it matters because I could easily sit down every day and spend all of my time churning the, yeah. the book markety stuff out. And some days it's more tempting than others. All right. So to come full circle, I was just realizing that this process of going through in a new genre, let's say, for example, uh, you're writing your first novel and it's in the thriller genre and I happen to love thrillers but I may not know the lay of the land the same way I know the lay of the land let's say for parenting and education books um going out and finding books to dissect has been a great way for me to figure out who the movers and shakers are and who's doing what and who's blurbing what so it's all it's all research right it's in the same sense that life is all copy it's all research. Um, I'm, I'm really actually, you know, it's something new and different. And so if this book ever gets finished and if this book ever gets out into the world, if this book gets published, at least um, part of this work that I'm doing now is laying the foundation for some of the selling work I'm going to have to do if this ever comes to fruition. So it's all good. I have to share a really good. stupid thing. So I, like I said, I've been wait, wait, making videos about other people's books, which I love, like books that I love. Um, mm-hmm. If I made a video about it, you can be darn sure that I really adored it. Which is not to say that if I didn't make a video about it, I didn't adore it. <laughs> just to be clear. AJ, you have never, ever made any videos about my books, which uh, means exactly. clearly you hate I, everything I hate I write. you. That's pretty much what we can sum up. But no, mm-hmm. here's the sad and sorry. So I've now made, I don't know, 20, 25, a bunch of these, right? Uh, the sad and sorry truth is that the ones that will do better are the ones in which my hair looks nice. <laughs> Yeah, if I've like beachy waved my hair, those are the ones. I mean, it's it's perhaps too small a data set to convert. You know, maybe those are coincidentally the ones where the author picked it up and shared it, and it just ended. But I don't think so. So yeah. Um, so it's my, my all addiction about the hair wand. 
My addiction inoculation videos, I have stripped down all of the confounding uh, things because it's always me in fairly similar outfits with the same glasses, my hair always looking almost exactly the same with the same background behind me. So uh, yeah, but then again, you know, I did get a text from my dad saying, hey, I really liked your hair in that one video. So maybe your theory is correct. <laughs> Some days my hair is better days than I was able to say thanks. I used a hair dryer that one time. So there you go. Counterpoint. I yes. once saw a really funny Facebook post from Colleen Hoover that said something like, I'm 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 not gonna get it exactly right, but she essentially said, I posted a a, a photo of myself in a swimsuit because she was in a pool, I believe, at the time, and I lost, I don't know. A thousand followers or just some number I don't even remember. And she said, so therefore, I'm only posting pictures of myself in a bathing suit now. <laughs> because now we know who really, you know, who really loves me. Or, you know, it was just so lovely, like such a lovely way to think about that, that, you know, I just needed that dose of, um, yeah, of uh, logic in my life. But if you right, really well, want me to do a good video about your book, you should come over here and do my hair for me. That's that's <laughs> what I'm saying. If you're good at hair. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about what we've been reading. Listeners, there's honestly nothing I love more than a good writing retreat, especially one that comes with solid coaching and the chance to meet other writers who are working on similar projects. This fall, Three Author Accelerator Certified Book Coaches are offering what sounds like a dream retreat if what you're working on is telling your own story. It's called Mainly Memoir, and it's a retreat for women writers in historic Biddeford, Maine. Mainly Memoir will provide three days in the gorgeous Maine woods in September with one-on-one -on -one coaching both before, during, and after the retreat. It is the perfect opportunity to give yourself the gift of time and focus so that you can make real progress on your memoir this year. Mainly Memoir will be held from September 21st through 24th, 2023. A scholarship is available for a memoirist from a community that has been traditionally underrepresented in publishing. Learn more at mainlymemoir.com and as you've probably guessed, mainly is spelled M-A-I-N-E-L-Y. So that's Maine the State, mainlymemoir.com. All right. What have we been reading? And and by the way, can I just say, I uh, was on TikTok and saw the most brilliant thing. It was a lounge chair, uh, you know, your ordinary lounge chair that had a hole in it that you put your face in so you can read your book or your whatever you're reading off of underneath in the shade with your face like a massage table hole it was is so, so excellent it was so excellent she also had she was reading i think in that video she was reading fan fiction she wouldn't say what kind of fan fiction and she had a drink with a straw that was like right next to her <laughs> mouth and she was lamenting that if she continues to read in her lounge chair with the hole in it, with the drink, with the straw, that she's going to be drunk most of the summer because I believe what she was drinking was a and margarita. she's going to need another but... hole at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. But I, I immediately texted and I was like, we're going to need these chairs. Clearly. Oh, really? <laughs> <sighs> 
All right. So, um, so I have to, I'll just go for it because um, I have been talking about this book on good authority and Anna is going to come on this podcast to talk about it because I, I had not seen another book that really talks about the very specific things you can do and control, by the way, this is very much about like, here are the things you can control about preparing, promoting, and becoming an expert in the field. And I I have to say, well done, Anna David, and I'm not saying this because I'm in it very briefly. I'm saying this because I think this is going to be one of the most useful. It's not very long. It's only, you know, 130 pages. I think this is going to be an incredible um, resource for uh, for nonfiction people. People who write nonfiction are looking to sort of become the go-to expert in a topic. I think it's going to be an incredible book, and I'm so glad I got to be a part of it. Well, I have been reading two wonderful books. <clears throat> I just finished We All Want Impossible Things by Kathleen <laughs> Newman. Which the two of you read like a year ago or whatever, but I, I was going to say funny. I've never heard of her. Who is Catherine <laughs> Newman? I blurbed it. So yes, I believe my it blurbs was on the cover. And by golly, boy, did I love that book. It was so, 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 yeah. so good. Very honest blurb. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so good. And then I'm also reading Ghosts of the Orphanage by Christine Keneally, which is a nonfiction um, about orphanages and, um, and abuse that happens and mostly around the framing story of a Burlington, Vermont orphanage. And it's, it's just really incredible and a difficult read, but I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, can I add also that Christine came to Burlington to do a reading and I, we saw, Tim went with me and we saw the huge exception to um, don't expect people to show up to your bookstore events because this was about a Burlington based, uh, uh, you know, just this nightmare of a story that happened at an orphanage and school uh, here in the Burlington area. There were people there who came from out of that orphanage that school and the original journalist actually who wrote the original articles on the topic and it was amazing I uh, that book you're right a really difficult read but such a good read such a good read loved it what you got KJ I just finished Yellow Face by RF Kuang it is I'm really excited yeah, can't is, wait to start this I, book I loved it I think it's the best book I've read so far this year um uh, which is something I'm allowed to change at, at the drop of a hat. Of but course. it's fantastic. It is a first-person story of a young woman who steals her friend's manuscript and sort of um, inadvertently slash intentionally pretends to be Chinese-American uh, because her friend was Chinese-American. Um, I it's it's hard to sum up, but it's definitely in the writer's behaving badly, slightly thriller-esque genre. Incredibly well done. The pages about um, the moment when a publisher decides to make a book a bestseller will make you cry if you were an author. Not because they are sad, but because, um, yeah, the, the level of choice involved there is really clear. Anyway, it's excellent. If you tried her book Babel, but it was maybe too skewed, too fantasy or too esoteric for you, come back for Yellow Face because it's great. If you liked um, the plot or Who is Maud Dixon or The Writer's Retreat, we're definitely in that vein, but uh, just really, really good work. 
Um, side note, this thing you've been doing on Instagram where you're like, if you loved, and then you list a bunch of books, you're going to love this, is such an effective tool. By the way, I just wanted to say, well done. I love your Instagram videos that do that because... Of course, that's how you want to have a book recommended to you. If you loved these things, read this. But back to Yellowface, I want to say, A, amazing cover. Like, it yeah. is a yellow, like, with just features of eyes. It's so brilliantly done. And, you know, this has been such a zeitgeisty topic. I mean, from, like, who's allowed to write about what, and then they add in the whole, you know, deception side. I'm, I'm just, I have it for audio, and I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to sort of gather up over the summer some of the books that we're going to be reading over the summer because I have a tall pile of stuff to read this summer, and I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah, are we? Uh, that's that's what where our heads have been this week. So thank you for joining us in our weird um, headspace of sort of moaning, but also, I don't know, I think it's fascinating to me what works, what does not work to sell a book. And as much as um, I love to stand there in bookstores and watch people pick things up and look on the back and look on the front and flip through the pages. Do they start in the beginning? Do they start in the middle? What makes them put a book down? I think it's an endlessly fascinating topic for me. So I'm, I'm glad we talked about the blurbing stuff. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Number one, thank you for the feedback on what you like hearing from us because that's why we're here. We started this whole thing so that we can be as useful and as um, entertaining and as, you know, in the service of flattening the learning curve for, the curve for other writers. So if you want to suggest things that you would like for us to talk about, please go to our hashtag AmWriting Facebook page. There's, um, like I said, a couple of thousand really supportive writers in there. Um, no meanness allowed. And it's been really, really great. Um, and we're just grateful for you. So thank you so, so much. And until next week, everyone, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perilla. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work.